showmates. Welcome into your Tuesday edition of Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. Nicole Lacorte has the day off today. We're following the latest in the Trump indictment and who could actually buy BET. We're bringing you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our top news story for today. Civil rights leaders and ministers in Ocala, Florida, passionately demanded justice for a memorial service for A.J. Owens, it's a black mother who tragically lost her life when a white neighbor fired a fatal shot through a closed front door. Reverend Al Sharpton and attorney Ben Crump drew connections between this incident to previous killings of black Americans such as Trayvon Martin and George Floyd. Now the neighbor, Susan Lorenz, faces charges including manslaughter. Eyewitnesses' uh, statements and the investigation firmly established that Lorenz's actions were unjustifiable under Florida law. Outrage grows as the community mourns Owen's untimely death and calls for justice and systemic change uh, become more resolute. That memorial took place yesterday. And we're talking first-degree felony of manslaughter charges. That's with a firearm as well as culpable negligence, battery, and two counts of assault. And a lot of people are saying this isn't enough. Some are saying let's go with these charges and see what we can maybe work our, our way up to. Um, she also got out on 150. $54,000 bond. At least that's what uh, was uh, settled uh, in that hearing. And a lot of people, again, are looking for uh, a tougher uh, sentence. But in the mean and in between, there's an ongoing argument that ensued uh, for years, according uh, to reports. And not only uh, this neighbor, that being AJ, but uh, from reports, they're saying that other neighbors were complaining about this Miss Lorenz as well. Uh, apparently, Lorenz threw a pair of roller skates or a skate at one of uh, AJ's children and that skate hit that child which prompted the knock at the door and as we know uh, this is what we're dealing with which is um, uh, this murder. She leaves behind AJ Owens that is a three-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old AJ's mother who has really spoken so eloquently uh, since this tragic uh, murder of her daughter uh, it just uh, seems as though uh, she's uh, taking on the role of continuing continuing to heal and raise these children and hopefully some justice uh, and maybe some lawsuits to come will definitely help them aid in whatever they're going to need uh, in their future. We move on here to Deja Taylor of Newport News, Virginia, as she pleads guilty in federal court to gun charges related to her six-year-old son shooting his elementary school teacher. You may remember that story. Uh, Taylor admitted to being an illegal drug user in possession of a firearm and making false statements on a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosive form during the firearm purchase. Federal law prohibits drug users from owning firearms and buying must declare their non-drug use. Authorities discovered narcotics and related items in Taylor's home, along with the firearm her son used in that shooting. Taylor's previous arrest for drug possession was also noted. The U.S. Attorney's Office continues to emphasize the importance of enforcing federal firearm laws to ensue safety. And a lot of people are zoning in now on her checkered pass with that arrest that was back in uh, 2021. Uh, she was stopped for speeding. Authorities did find uh, marijuana and drug paraphernalia in her possession uh, at that time. You fast forward to these charges, uh, which include 
you know, not properly securing that gun. There was no lockbox. Uh, there was no trigger uh, uh, trigger uh, lock on that gun as well. And as I stated in the story, you know, federal law prohibits users of illegal drugs to own firearms. That's why you have to check soulmates to see what the laws and policies are from state to state. You know, a lot of uh, states have and a lot of states are still pushing to legalize marijuana. But in some states, you know, it is not legal. And you you need to know that. Uh, going back to this first grade teacher uh, who is still in recovery, uh, just, you know, tragically uh, injured uh, in this uh, case. She says she's still recovering. She says, look, when she was shot, she felt like she had died. Uh, she has since uh, filed a lawsuit in the amount of $40 million. Uh, this was back in early April. Uh, she named the Newport News School Board, the superintendent, the principal, the assistant principal. They've all been named in this suit. Uh, it is uh, moving through the court systems really as, as we speak today. And that Virginia community uh, has some healing to continue to do. And so we'll definitely uh, keep on top of this story. So now let's go to uh, Kentucky, where several neighbors discovered flyers believed to be distributed by KKK members, specifically from the Trinity White's, uh, Trinity, excuse me, Knights branch. Now the flyers uh, attributed to the white supremacist organization contained hateful messages targeting individuals of color. Local authorities confirmed the sightings and are investigating the incident. In a separate incident, shared on social media, a clash between a pride protest organizer and an individual claiming KKK membership occurred in Corbin, Kentucky, escalating to a physical altercation. Now, the response of the police to the incident has raised concerns and has prompted outrage. Moving on here to a historic bill that has been passed by lawmakers in Albany, New York. It will create a commission to study whether black New Yorkers should receive reparations. Ashley Rodriguez has the story. A historic bill sits on New York Governor Kathy Hochul's desk. Legislation to create a commission to consider reparations for black New Yorkers. It passed both the state assembly and Senate Thursday. We should have done right at the birth of the nation. We should have done right at the end of the Civil War. Uh, but the be best time to do right is right now. State Senator James Sanders Jr. sponsored the bill that would create a commission to examine how much New York supported slavery and the systemic barriers to equal economic, political and educational opportunities endured by black New Yorkers. A state like New York has an oversized role in the history of slavery. Sanders says New York held the manufacturing might to process and export cotton from the South. This is where the slave ships were built. And now New York is following in the footsteps of California, the only other state to legislate a reparations task force pointing to its own history of over-policing, mass incarceration and redlining. California's task force found the state is responsible for more than $500 billion owed to its black citizens. While we appreciate what they have done in California and what they've come up with, uh, we in the Empire State will, will choose what is right for New York State. And that might not just look like a blank check for black New Yorkers. It could show up as funding to clean up and rezone black neighborhoods to support small businesses and first-time home buyers and improve education. But before any of that happens, Governor Hochul first has to sign the bill into law, and there's no timetable for that.
Yeah, and I say, you know, bring on the commission. Uh, you got to take a look at California, who has really led the way in this reparations uh, talk, if you will, forming their task force back in 2021. Nicola and I have talked uh, plenty of times right here on Fox News Black Report about the idea of reparations and how it goes from that thought to an idea to actually something tangible. And I've always said that my concern was something a little bit more uniformed as, you know, state by state or city by city is kind of being tasked, if you will, uh, with the effort to bring about reparations. And with that, I wouldn't want anybody to kind of, sort of kind of be, I like to say, lost in the sauce or, or left behind. And so that's the only, you know, kind of issue that I sort of see brewing in this situation that everybody is doing reparations their own way uh, to, to what benefit and, you know, will it really make good on over 400 years of, you know, generation upon generation of, of what we know now to be, you know, enslavement and how would that really uh, permeate our well-being from this point going forward? So lots of talk about, you know, what people would like reparations to actually be, you know, would it be a check? Would it be, you know, some sort of uh, tax, tax break or credit? Would it be, you know, forgiveness with loans? There has been so much talk about what reparations would actually look like and then how to go about dispersing those amongst uh, African-Americans and soulmates uh, like you and me. So that conversation absolutely continues. Let's move on here to Democrats who are worrying that recruiting third party candidates for the 2024 election could draw votes away from President Biden's reelection campaign. Now, the bipartisan group No Labels aims to launch a unity ticket while progressive activist uh, Cornel West enters the race as a third party candidate. Recent polls indicate growing openness to third party options if Biden and Trump are nominees. The Democrats fear a repeat of the 2016 election where third party candidates had a significant impact. Now, no labels uh, uh, faces criticism, but remains focused on gaining ballot access uh, nationwide. And that is the group uh, that is uh, putting on this campaign. And it's called uh, Unity Ticket. And, uh, you know, I think it's a great idea, but I think you have to pay attention to the fact that people are a little politically exhausted, especially after uh, the rounds that we've had uh, as far as election seasons or election seasons from uh, the past. And, uh, you know, you really have to pay attention to the fact that there's this recent poll out that says 70 percent of Americans did not want Biden to run. Now, that's just focusing on that particular uh, Democratic ticket. So it sounds like to me, even though there is a concern about third party, you have Dr. Cornell West, who, you know, uh, further fuels the concern over third party candidates pulling attention away from Biden. But you also have to think about those 70 percent of Americans who could, you know, mostly be Democrats saying they didn't even want Biden to run. Maybe they just don't don't trust his ability to, to run this country for another go around. And I think that's a bigger concern than maybe uh, a third party taking attention away from the ticket. But uh, as the election season of 2024, uh, as it uh, hurries up and comes our way, we will definitely continue to uh, see how this all plays out. A highly choreographed scene unfolding in Miami, as you can imagine, as Donald Trump becomes the first former president uh, to be indicted on federal charges. Security is tight in downtown Miami as former President uh, Donald Trump prepares to make his first court appearance before a judge, a federal judge, that is. Dozens of protesters have made their way to the courthouse, some uh, coming in from across the country to witness this historic moment.
witch hunt after witch hunt. These are sick people. Former President Donald Trump will appear in this Miami federal courthouse this afternoon, where he's expected to plead not guilty to 37 felony charges related to his alleged mishandling and retention of classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago estate. I encourage both supporters and critics of Donald Trump to maintain the peace and let the justice system do its work. Special counsel Jack Smith led the investigation, which accuses Trump of illegally keeping highly sensitive national defense information after his presidency, allegedly showing a classified document to unauthorized people, lying to federal investigators, directing his staff to hide documents, and more. No one is about the law, period. But the rule of law requires equal justice under the law. Biden's Justice Department has a track record of targeting anyone Biden thinks is a political opponent. Many Republicans accuse the Justice Department of election interference. Trump supporters still rallying behind the 2024 Republican presidential nominee frontrunner. We love Trump! You're innocent until proven guilty. We have a process. We have a special prosecutor. We need to let this process play out. All right, and you saw some Trump supporters in that piece, and I've got another supporter to talk to you about today. Music producer Teddy Riley faced criticism after expressing support for former President uh, Trump on social media. Fans questioned his alignment with Trump, to which Riley allegedly responded that he owed Trump a favor for his involvement in releasing his brother from prison. Riley claimed that Trump taught him about freedom and expressed belief in Trump's potential to do great things, citing his actions in Africa. This is not the first instance of uh, black celebrities such as Kodak Black and Lil Wayne showing support for Trump following their legal situation. So, you know, I was cruising uh, uh, social media, if you will, in particular black uh, uh, Twitter, and you got some people on one side saying, you know, can you can you really still support uh, someone who you might not necessarily agree with, but, you know, you may owe or, you know, did you a favor in this case, Teddy Riley's brother was serving a double life sentence. I wasn't able to get details on what he was convicted of, but we're talking a double life sentence. And now he is free. A guy by the name of Lou Hobbs, uh, Teddy Riley's brother. So I can see how Teddy Riley would be, you know, very, you know, um, indebted to Donald Trump. But but where where Teddy lost me was when he said, quote, uh, Trump taught him, quote, how to be a free man in this country. Now, you know, he took me a little left with that. I'm not so sure about those accusations, but everybody is, um, everybody can feel the way they feel, if you will. He also went on to say that Trump did a lot for Africa while he was in office. A lot of people went back and forth about uh, those uh, claims. But listen, I can understand why Teddy Riley uh, and Kodak Black feel uh, very gracious and continue to support Donald Trump because, uh, you know, it has positively, his actions uh, have positively affected uh, their lives. Kodak Black is back out on the hip-hop scene. He was serving a 40-month sentence in the middle of that weapons charge when Donald Trump uh, decided to pardon him back in 2021. So I get it. Uh, hopefully I'd never have to be in a situation where me or a family member uh, would have to depend on somebody like Trump to pardon me. But, you know, obviously this has fair, uh, uh, fair has farewell for them, if you will. All right. Still ahead. We uh, we've all worked in toxic workplace environments, but there's one that's making headlines this week. We'll tell you what one man had to endure at work uh, that'll make you sick to your stomach. This is uh, this is a weird one coming up on Fox Souls Black Report.
welcome you back to Foxhole's Black Report. A worker at a Chicago company involved in distributing human body parts for medical research claims that three severed heads were left at his desk in an act of retaliation after he raised concerns about the condition of donor bodies. A guy by the name of Dale Wheatley, transportation coordinator for the Anatomical Gift Association of Illinois, filed a police report after discovering the heads. Whitley, who had never encountered such a situation in his five years on the job, had previously complained about improper embalming and storage of donor bodies. He also reported finding smoldering sage bundles in the office seen as harassment. Wheatley's attorney emphasized the need for proper care and respect for the donors. Quite a, a creepy story here. So I did a little research because I wanted to know what was the Anatomical Gifts Association of Illinois. I never heard of it before. And, uh, you know, after a person's death, uh, the person can choose to gift their body uh, to, to training and study. Uh, a lot of medical schools uh, use uh, this particular association and others like it across the country, um, you know, to work hands on with body parts. I'd never heard that before. I, you know, I am a, a, an organ donor and if, if my untimely demise, if, if parts of my working body can go on to help someone else, you know, live a, a, a full fruitful life, then so be it. But I don't know about gifting my body to science. I, I just couldn't see myself, you know, and parts of myself uh, 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 laying around a lab. So I thought that was just so interesting, but we'll definitely have to keep on top of this story as um, this uh, young man here at this particular uh, location is claiming uh, discrimination, uh, well, not necessarily discrimination, but harassment. And uh, we'll continue to uh, hear more about this lawsuit as I'm sure people will pay close attention because this is so different, a little weird, a little to the left. And we're going to continue on here as a mass shooting occurred in downtown uh, Denver as crowds gathered to celebrate the Denver Nuggets' first NBA championship. Now, the incident took place after an altercation resulting in gunfire that injured at least nine people. Three of the victims are in critical condition, while the others have non-life-threatening injuries. Uh, police apprehended a suspect who was also wounded in the shooting. The incident happened at an intersection where hundreds of fans gathered to celebrate. The shooting is currently under investigation. It is still unclear if this shooting is connected to the actual championship celebration. So first, let's say, you know, congratulations to the Nuggets. I think it's been 47 years in that franchise's history. This is their first title, an absolutely great win, a nail-biter. Uh, as uh, for a minute, you thought uh, the Heat, who are pretty scrappy, were, were going to uh, make do with maybe another win. But thereafter, the celebration ensued. And I even remember watching uh, coverage of the celebration. And they had a shot, and I don't know if it was this particular uh, intersection, but definitely a, a shot of the street, people celebrating. And somebody was lighting off firecrackers in the middle of the, of the, um, of the crowd. You saw fireworks in the middle of the crowd. And so I thought... Right then and there, I was like, this could turn uh, a little dangerous. And sure enough, we woke up to this uh, unfortunate news. We hope the best uh, for those who are still recovering. Last I checked, I think that count went from nine to 10. So we'll definitely uh, keep on top of this story as well. Let's go to Amy Cooper. You might remember her for calling the police on a black bird watcher in Central Park. She has lost her appeal against being fired from her job. The Manhattan Appeals Court ruled that she failed to prove her dismissal was due to racial discrimination or defamation by her former employer. The incident occurred when Christian Cooper asked her to leash her dog, 
resulting in her calling 911 and falsely claiming she was being threatened. The viral video of the incident tarnished her reputation, leading to her termination. Now, charges against her were dismissed following racial bias therapy, but the consequences of her actions remain. And we always say, you know, God doesn't like ugly. Uh, and he didn't also didn't appreciate, if you remember, you see the B-roll right there, didn't appreciate her choking out that dog either. I'm glad the dog uh, survived. Um, but listen, the, the Twitterverse uh, went to work and quickly identified this woman and really laid a lot of pressure uh, on her employer who obviously saw fit that she was not fit uh, to be a part of their corporation. Meanwhile, uh, we, we call this thing, the court allowed myself poetic justice as uh, Christian Cooper. That is who she he was, uh, you know, who went, she went nuts on. Uh, that is the Black Bird Watcher. He now has his own show on the uh, Nat Geo Network. So that thing has been flipped around for good, and uh, we're uh, happy to hear about it for sure. Let's go out to L.A., where the county district attorney's office has decided to deactivate its Twitter account due to the social media platform's failure to remove offensive comments despite repeated requests. The decision came after the office received a barrage of vicious and offensive comments following a post about their participation in a pride parade. The office expressed deep concern over the comments and made the difficult choice to archive their Twitter account. However, the district attorney's office will continue to engage with the public through other platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and their official website. And there's more Black Report ahead. When we come back, we'll tell you about the new changes coming to the historic theater in New York City. That's the Apollo Theater in New York City. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back. We want to welcome you back to Fox Show's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicksney. Cordelai Corte has the day off today. The Apollo Theater is soon to be under new leadership. The nation's largest African-American performing arts organization has announced the appointment of Michelle Evanks as its next president and CEO. Now, according to a release by the Apollo, Ebanks has a litany of experience in media and entertainment. And her previous experience includes serving as the CEO of Essence Communications, including Essence Magazine. Ebanks says she is excited about the new opportunity and what the future will bring. Uh, the uh, Ebanks will step into the role in July, succeeding Jonelle Procope, who served in the role for the last two decades transferring, uh, transforming rather, the Apollo Theater into a nationally recognized cultural institution. The Apollo Theater is near the end of its first full-scale renovation and the completion of its $80 million Apollo Rising 2.0 capital campaign. Can't wait to see it. All right. 
my guy, maybe your guy too, Pat Sajak, is preparing to spin the wheel on television's long-running game show, Wheel of Fortune, for the last time. The host confirmed the news in a tweet just yesterday saying, quote, well, the time has come. I've decided that our 41st season, which begins in September, will be my last. Say, uh, Sajak gave no indication of who may replace him, but Susan Preet, executive vice president of game shows at Sony Pictures Television, the studio that produces Wheel of Fortune, uh, told CNN in a statement that Sajak will continue as a consultant on the show for three years following his last year hosting. No word on Vanna White's replacement. So he's going to keep that bag coming. So I'm fascinated with uh, this story and really the career of uh, Pat Sajak because it really is a blueprint, especially uh, coming from radio like myself. He came from radio. He started Wheel of Fortune back in 1983, and he was not the original host. He actually took over. Some of you so mace may remember Chuck Willowry from uh, Love Connection 2 and 2. Who knew? I did not know that. So this is why I find this stuff so fascinating. I really geeked out about this story, right? Um, so he even had, a, I remember the Pat Sajak show. I think I was a senior in high school. And it didn't last long because it wasn't that good. And then everybody just wanted to see him at that point do, you know, the Wheel of Fortune. But that was from 89 to 90. And I did not know that the Wheel of Fortune, the actual game, how they came up with this game, um, was from the old school hangman game where you draw like a stick figure and you have the letters and you try to, or you have a word and you try to figure out the word letter by letter and you have to cross it out. And, and if you don't get it, you end up hanging yourself. And that's the original premise of a Will of Fortune. Like the report said, no word on if Vanna White will step down. She's been there just as long as him. You know, Pat Sajak has been nominated like 19 times uh, for Emmys. I think he's pulled down about three. This man works one day a week. I think he gets 20 plus million dollars a year. And I feel like he's probably deserved it. He's worked his way up to all of this uh, magic. And I just think it's a it's an end of an era for the game show hosts that we know, the Bar Barkers, uh, the uh, Alex Trebek of Jeopardy, and, and now uh, Pat Sajak. So it looks like the game show uh, landscape will start to look really different. And I wonder if the search for his replacement will be as big and huge and a little controversial uh, as uh, the um, Jeopardy uh, replacement. So we shall soon see. All right, an unfortunate uh, story here as the cause of death for United States Olympic gold medalist Tori Bowie has been released. Bowie was reportedly around eight months pregnant and passed away from pregnancy complications while undergoing labor. According to several news sources prior to the tragic discovery, her loved ones contacted local authorities to conduct a welfare check as they'd gone several days without hearing anything from her. She was found dead in her Florida home on May 2nd. She was just 32 years old. And to Atlanta now, where some city council members hope an adjusted curfew proposal for teens will help lower youth crime. Our friends over at Fox Atlanta have more. Atlanta City Council is once again considering adjustments to the citywide curfew. The push comes after the shooting deaths of teenagers, most recently a shooting at an unauthorized graduation party that took the life of 16-year-old Briasia Powell. Little girls are no longer off the limits in the city of Atlanta. On Monday, an Atlanta City Council committee unanimously approved a proposal that would keep the 11 p.m. curfew. However, it would add penalties for anyone under the age of 16 who violates it. One of the violations 
violations would require the teen and his or her parents to attend a parenting program. Councilman Antonio Brown says parents also need to be held accountable and know where their kids are, especially at night. Typically, if you are caught breaking the curfew, even though we'd never enforced it, there was a penalty where your parent or you, or you could be locked up for over 90 days. And also there was a fine up to $1,000. We removed that. We included some different things because we want to help people mentally. The new ordinance would also remove the fine that was up to $1,000 for breaking curfew, but it says the violator could be sentenced to probation. Changes like these to the city's curfew have been in the works for months, but have yet to be approved by full city council. The proposed legislation or the request for the original amendment, which happened November uh, 2022 was as a result of the loss of Zion and Cameron. These are two teenagers that we lost on the 17th Street Bridge. Yeah, uh, listen, uh, we, we all have a lot of work to do. There was an interesting story here in Detroit. It's where our Fox uh, Soul headquarters, Black Report headquarters is. There are a group of kids, young kids, who who stole a school bus and and were you know joyriding the school bus like 2:30 in the morning. You know, a lot of folks across social media are saying, "Well, where are their parents?" There there was a time, there was a day when at 2:30 in the morning, your butt was at home uh, in the bed or at least in the home. And so a lot of people were questioning, "How do these parents not know where their children are?" And then that led into a whole big debate about this new generation of parents and. and and are we failing uh, our children? You know, listen, I, I believe it starts in the home and then that, that goes out into the, 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 the block, the community, the village, uh, and then uh, into the schools. And I think that everybody holds a little bit of that uh, responsibility, but in my opinion, mostly in the home. And when it comes to, you know, uh, educating our, our young people and keeping them active and, and keeping them focused in on what they should be focused in on as far as, you know, becoming eventually a uh, functional, positive adults, you have to have, you know, the programs, the community programs, you have to have, you know, the, the, the resources and we know resources take money, but putting, you know, trades back in the school. I remember there's a time when you could graduate from high school and be a stylist or, or be a, a carpenter or know a little bit about uh, heating and cooling and actually go right into the workforce because we know college is not for everybody. Uh, put those extracurricular activities back into the school. You know, not everybody is an athlete, but maybe someone might enjoy debate or, or music or some kind of language or travel club or whatever the case may be. But we really need to take a hard look at what is happening with our young people. You partner that with this gun violence and how that has become an epidemic for our young people. And we're going to continue to lose an entire generation if we as adults don't really, really pay attention and get ourselves together so we can help get them in line and get them together. All right, coming up, singer and songwriter Solange is uh, di diversifying her portfolio. We'll tell you all about her new partnership that uh, may have some soulmates rushing to their favorite uh, corner store. <laughs> That's coming up on Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Hills Black Report. A producer for the Stars drama BMF was suspended 
after allegedly threatening riders on a picket line. This happened Thursday. Those uh, workers are seeking the new contract, as you may know. Atlanta writer Brian Eggston, uh, who wrote this, uh, the recent uh, Dennis Quaid Amazon film On a Wing and a Prayer, said he and other writers picketing on Hank Aaron Drive outside Georgia State University's football stadium, where BMF was shooting Thursday, when a show producer, Ian Wolfe, drove his vehicle towards them in what Eggleston saw was a threatening manner. Eggleston said Wolfe even admitted to him he was trying to scare them. Now, according to reports, uh, this particular BMF producer kind of used his, his SUV to sort of kind of uh, threaten uh, these riders coming within feet of them, going to high speed and then kind of breaking. Um, and the riders did make note that this was on uh, Hank uh, Aaron Boulevard, not too far from the uh, birthplace of uh, MLK Jr. Uh, and, and, and these riders who definitely have a right uh, to strike. This is how we get our point across. This is how we, we go about movement and progress in our country. They have been, uh, you know, quite peaceful. And, you know, although the protests have been pe uh, peaceful, uh, the strike in and of itself, in my opinion, has been really intense because these riders just want to live, you know, the way we live. Uh, they want to be able to, or try to live, they want to be able to afford groceries, to afford transportation, to afford housing, especially those who uh, live in California. We know Hollywood is the hub, is the nucleus, and they're writing these wonderful stories uh, to these shows that we quite often enjoy, whether it's on network television or across uh, streaming uh, partners or, or networks, and they can't afford uh, to feed their families. They can't afford to, you know, get to work. They can't afford, you know, to keep a roof over their head while these network um, officials uh, continue to make millions and millions of dollars, as do uh, the network. So that's really the basis of, of this strike. And a lot of people have been in support. We just had the Tonys uh, air the other day. That That's like the, the Grammys of the um, musical stage, the theater. And our good sister, uh, Ariana Dubos, uh, she came back for a second year to host that show. And she had to do it all off, as we say in hip hop, off the dome, off just the top of her head. And she did an absolutely fabulous job. And at some point, when it just got to be real, real, she said, hey, I don't know who's coming up next, but just clap for him anyway. And so, you know, this is what folks have been dealing with in this industry. And uh, my hope, my prayer is that these writers get what they rightfully deserve. It's not like they're asking for so much. They're just asking for just enough, really, uh, to help them move along uh, and maintain their lives. And so when things like this happen, uh, it's really unfortunate. But hopefully we can keep focus on this strike. And some of your shows, like P Valley, will go back to production because uh, that show's on a break, too, as many. Uh, as there are many others as well. All right, multiple brawls broke out during Sunday's fight between Floyd Mayweather and John Gotti III in Florida, but it's the one with Jocelyn Hernandez that's making headlines. Reality star Jocelyn Hernandez was arrested Monday morning on four separate charges for her alleged involvement in Sunday's uh, incident. A footage of the altercation obtained by TMZ allegedly shows Hernandez, who is 36, engaged in a fight with rapper Big Lex, leading to charges of trespassing and battery. TMZ reported the outlet reports that the confrontation took place in the uh, arena's back hallways. It's not immediately clear if Hernandez has entered pleas to the charges or retained an attorney to comment on her behalf. So just like you, soulmates, I saw this mayhem 
mess of a mayhem across social media, which started in the ring with the Mayweather's folks, Gotti folks, and then just all kind of folks uh, got involved all, all on the Zeus uh, network. So kind of sort of like no surprise there, right? But then these fights that we're talking about with Jocelyn, uh, Jocelyn rather, happened backstage. And I even saw a lot of those clips and she just looked like some kind of mad woman. Now, I'm not sure what ignited her or, or why she decided to go off, but it looked like at one point, allegedly, maybe she even uh, assaulted someone who didn't even have anything to do with what she was angry about. They say that there were uh, former castmates that, that she got into it as well. But I'm really saddened because love the girl. I followed her ever since her debut on uh, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta and that whole uh, trio with her and, and, and Stevie. And uh, I really thought at, at this point, she was really, you know, coming into herself and finding some balance and, and healing her past wounds. I even thought, and, and you might have seen this too, Soulmates, that she was just, uh, you know, she just had a performance and she was very emotional telling the crowd that, hey, this is the first time I've been out here and, and just been me. You know, no drugs, no alcohol. This is who I am. A very trance uh, parent moment. And so, you know, I'm hoping that whatever triggered her um, lets her know that she still has a lot of healing to do. I don't know how well she's going to fare with these uh, charges because, you know, if, if, if you look at the tail of the tape, uh, she was actually on a rampage. And it really bothered me, the people who were around. I know some people tried to break it up. It looked like a lot of security. But I feel like a lot of people let that thing, you know, let, the, let, the, let that brawl go. They just let it happen. I don't know if it was for, you know, a, a network type of moment or ratings or I, I just don't know. But I just feel like it went on way too long and that those parties could have been separated uh, before uh, some of that damage and, and charges uh, had to be filed. So we'll stay on top of this story. But I'm hoping the best for, for Jocelyn. She's a mom now. I really I really like her, but uh, she was wrong for this one, or apparently uh, wrong for this one. All right, Crown Royal launched a new partnership with its latest release, Crown Royal Golden Apple, aged 23 years. The Canadian whiskey brand has tapped Solange Knowles and St. Heron to host a series of events meant to showcase the creative Creativity and innovation behind the new flavored whiskey. Crown Royal Golden Apple, aged 23 years, as important, is uh, a hit, uh, will hit rather, uh, retail shelves uh, back on, it hit retail shelves back on June the 1st. Now, the 40% drink will be available for purchase at a suggested retail price of, get this, $249. And 99 cents. And I must say, soulmates, it is good stuff. I, we, we had some specialty drinks uh, at my um, rehearsal dinner, uh, maybe about a year or so ago, wedding rehearsal dinner. And whatever that 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 uh, bartender whipped up with that particular product in there was, was absolutely good. My only thing is, you know, our, is it is it liquor? And, and clothing, you know, is the only thing that we can endorse and maybe partner people with. I, I know it's about securing the bag and the brand, but there are so many other areas and avenues to where as some of these celebrities or even, you know, folks, regular old folks like ourselves who want to make a difference can partner with people in order to bring maybe just, you know, different types of choices, especially we were just talking about earlier with these young people and, and the need to secure their future. So I'm not coming down on anybody if you you want to, you know, pop bottles and own this liquor brand and own this fashion line, have at it. I'm just saying I'm hoping that those who we deem, you know, celebrities and important folks to us and even us soulmates 
will also find it necessary to, to delve into other areas of partnership that um, you know, will speak to a need in, in our community. All righty, there's a history-making concert coming to celebrate hip-hop's 50th birthday. You know I'm excited about that. Uh, hip-hop legends DJ Jazzy Jeff and Dougie Fresh have teamed up with veteran pro promoter uh, manager Charlie Mack for their one-night-only mixtape live event that brings together 50 pioneer MCs from the 70s, 80s, and 90s on one stage for a historical celebration of hip-hop's 50th anniversary. The mixtape live concert takes place on June 17th. It's just a few days from now at Jim Whalen Boardwalk Hall. That's in Atlantic City and will feature 50 of the greatest hip-hop pioneers performing live on one stage with the legendary DJ Red Alert spinning on the ones and twos. You know, I've been excited about this uh, for a moment, you know, being, you know, part of the, the, the younger end of the first generation of hip hop and knowing that, you know, it came from the streets, it came from us. It started with um, sampling a lot of disco records, some, some house records, and how this genre has grown over the years, I can clearly remember when moms and dads and politicians and, 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 and other folks uh, did not care for rap music. So there's rap music and then you have hip hop, which is speaks more to uh, the culture. And for a while, um, you know, there was this 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 rub with uh, rap music. They thought the lyrics were 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 vulgar. They thought it was just something to, to throw away. It's just, you know, a fad. But this thing has been here to stay. And I would say that rap music has become quite mainstream, uh, almost along the lines of maybe being the new rock and roll, if you will, as everybody, uh, regardless of your walk of life, uh, has really been influenced or has a has a rap record, I'm sure, uh, on their playlist. And so it's good to see that we're now at 50 years. I'm going to leave my uh, producer nameless who said that he is ready for, you know, he, you know, he said he was ready for some big celebration, just one thing that will uh, put everything together and bring everybody together. And I will agree the, the, the celebrations have been a little splintered, but I think when you have such a huge genre with, with, with so many generations involved or people in those generations, I think you may have to separate that thing. I mean, this this celebration is going to focus in on the 70s, the 80s and the 90s. And those are three generations right there. So um, here, here and bring the celebrations on all year long. I'm just happy that hip hop is 50 years old. I did read something um, today. I wanted to share with you real quick. Sleepy Brown. He's from the organized noise folks down there in Atlanta. Say, hey, all of this hip hop celebrating going on, unfortunately, uh, it looks like outcasts either wouldn't get together or won't be a part of it. He said that those two have just kind of outgrown their uh, musical relationship and that Andre 3000 is, quote, on a whole nother journey. So unfortunately, it looks like outcasts might not be in some of these celebrations that have been happening um, in and around the country, especially in um, Atlanta, as we continue to celebrate 50 years of hip hop. But let me tell you, that speaker box, the love below, that's turning 20 years this year, Sometimes you just have to say thank God for the memory and the music and the legacy lives on. All right, so Tyler Perry is reportedly the front runner to take over the cable channel BET. Now, that's according to reports. Uh, Perry's potential acquisition comes as Paramount seeks to sell a majority stake in the network. The new deal will give him control over BET Media Group, which also includes the H1. Very interesting.
All right, Perry is currently partnering with the company on BET Plus. Earlier this year, Perry expressed optimism about buying BET, saying that if it were possible, he was, quote, very, very interesting, interested rather. You know, I say go for it. I know there has been uh, a lot of um, uh, entertainers and inside uh, industry folks who have come to the surface and say that they would be interested uh, in buying BET. I remember Shaq and 50 Cent, uh, Diddy, uh, Byron Allen, Kenya uh, Burris, who is responsible for the uh, Blackish franchise. But in particular, Byron Allen, you know, I was reading in on how, you know, him and Tyler Perry were like the front runners, you know, folks that Paramount was really uh, um, considering how Tyler Perry has edged Byron Allen out at this point. Um, maybe it's because of uh, Tyler Perry's already deeply rooted relationship with BET. Just about everything that comes on BET has <laughs> something to do with Tyler Perry, uh, if you ask me. But, you know, it'll be very interesting how this plays out. I feel like if, if it's someone like a Tyler Perry, I feel like uh, the soulmates will be in good hands. As we all know his platform, we all know what he is on. We're all familiar with his uh, billionaire success and, and how the naysayers of the Medea uh, franchise are, are, are counting uh, all of all of his bags uh, nowadays. But we had a conversation maybe about a week or so ago, Nicole and myself, with some of the officials uh, at the uh, NAACP, the L.A. branch, who were also very interested in this whole concept and idea of a, a community-based kind of ownership. And it was modeled after what the uh, good folks did for the Green Bay Packers, who, um, you know, the community kind of owns that team. Over, I want to say, 350, maybe 1,000 folks kind of have a little stake in that team. And as a result, uh, that team is worth over $4 billion. You, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're kept abreast as to, you know, how that team is being ran. And it really proves and has shown itself to be a pretty effective uh, model that the folks at the NAACP in L.A. Uh, want to tap into. So, you know, it sounds like, you know, Tyler Perry may be the one, but it also sounds like that this thing isn't necessarily cemented just yet and that there could be uh, some other uh, potential buyers to, to get in on this situation. Or, you know, maybe we could entertain the whole idea of a, of a community-owned uh, BET. And if it's not BET, I think that concept is great, maybe to apply it uh, to other ventures uh, in and around the village. So we will see. But just an interesting conversation. But I'm down. I'm down for Tyler Perry. I'm down for all of them, too. I think Byron Allen would be great. Um, I'm just down for, for black ownership because I think at that point, uh, you know, we'll get what we really need. And then they're going to throw in a VH1 as well. Got to love that. All right. Up next, it's our favorite, favorite segment, Black Excellence. And we're talking about one of the greatest athletes of all time. We'll tell you the history making move from Serena Williams to secure her daughter's future. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. All right, welcome back. Serena Williams, her five-year-old daughter, becomes the youngest owner of two professional sports teams. Alexis Olympia O'Hannon Jr. is already the owner of the women's soccer team, Angel City FC. Now, uh, dad, you know, he's the founder of Reddit. Mm -hmm. He announced on Instagram that she has become a part owner of the Los Angeles 
Golf Club. The team is the first in a virtual golf league, and the format is said to be unlike anything anyone has ever seen. Serena and uh, Sister Venus also share ownership in this new project, uh, this team. Serena posted about the club on Instagram with the caption about how excited she is to work on the project with her family. Talk about generational wealth and the module or the, for this um, new virtual team uh, was kind of influenced by some of what uh, Tiger Woods uh, has been into as well. So that's kind of like a, a merging of the minds, if you will. And they're excited about it. And I think this is a great way to, uh, again, create uh, generational wealth. Um, and you know what? It, it just it floors me when you think about the Williams sisters and their stories. I was kind of late to the party with the with the King uh, Richard uh, movie, but it just gave us this real deal, uh, transparent look because these girls had their hands on that story. So I, I felt like it was the real deal of this man's vision, uh, not only for, you know, these two daughters, but how that vision that focusing on the daughters was really going to propel and platform that entire family. Uh, and just to see how against the, the, the grain and against the norm he was and how he stuck to his, his, his vision, even though folks thought he was absolutely crazy. And at times he, he, he had to act a little crazy to let these folks know he was serious about the path that he wanted to put his daughters uh, on. Now, I didn't know, maybe the history slipped me, uh, we know that Serena, you know, blossomed into this in incredible, incredible athlete. But, you know, when you watch the movie King Richard, it all kind of started with Venus and how dad had Serena, you know, kind of on the sidelines for a bit because he wanted her to grow and mature. And uh, she took it in her own hands <laughs> to go ahead and, and start uh, uh, playing a as an amateur. And of course, we, we know how this story not necessarily ends, but we know how this story uh, has played out. So it is just good to see her still uh, in the game um, on this second pregnancy, still making moves, not only Serena, but Venus as well. And now we are seeing a new generation of, of uh, girls from the Williams uh, clan um, really making things happen. And this little girl is, is now set up to do uh, quite well. That's so interesting to uh, read about. Uh, let's go on to a 100-year man uh, from California who is celebrating 79 years of marriage with his wife. 79 years with the same person. Ori and Lena McRae from Union City, California, celebrated their 79th wedding anniversary. Ori is almost 100 years old, and his wife, Lena, is almost 97. And uh, they met in high school as teens back in the Jim Crow days and later married at the Justice of Peace. Ori and Lena have been side by side figuratively and literally for nearly eight decades. How about this? They have six children. 25 grandchildren, 15 great-grandchildren, and three great-great-grandchildren. And this inspires me. I'm not being a good wife today because I totally forgot to put on my wedding ring. But can you imagine that with 79 years with someone? And I was reading a little deeper into their story, and they were saying not only is it their similar likes, I've always believed that like attracts like, but it's their love for Christ that has kept them together 
for 75 years during the ups and the downs. They've lived in Arkansas. They even lived here in Detroit for a while. You know, everybody came to Detroit to, to work before they went out west and, and settled in that Bay Area. But what an amazing story. And they are just as in love 79 years later as they were when they first met back in high school. That is amazing. All right, for the full rundown on today's stories and more, you can access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other Black-centered content. And don't forget to download the Fox Soul app. It is absolutely free. I, 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 I promise you that tomorrow, me and my boy <laughs> will be back together, that's for sure. Uh, Nick Cordelai and myself want to uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on Fox Soul's Black Report. We absolutely appreciate you. Uh, make sure you download that Fox uh, app. It is absolutely free and you can stay linked with us 24-7. We'd love to, to stay linked with you for sure. I'm Courtney Hicks. Thanks so much for watching Fox Souls Black Report. Uh, take care. Do I have to say stay lifted? And uh, definitely stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow.